Welcome to the November edition of the Cenotopia Radio Show and Podcast. I'm Amanda, your host, and on this show, I'm joined with show regulars Gary Arnett and Amaya Benuelos-Marco as we review the Palme d'Or winning film Anatomy of a Fall, plus new release films including the Scottish documentary Loch Ness that created a monster and the British film Femme, which was featured at the Edinburgh International Film Festival earlier this year, but out in cinemas on the 1st of December. Amaya and I also talk all things documentary covering IDFA, the International Documentary Festival Amsterdam, which happened in this November, reviewing three films together, El Echo, Already Made, and Cemeteries of Cinema. Maya also chatted with director Juan Palacios, who directed the film As the Tide Comes In, which was part of the festival's international competition. I also sat down with Iwang, director of We Are East Film Festival, which is coming to Edinburgh starting the 28th of November with a free event at City Chambers, which I'll be part of myself, as well as a series of films playing at Summer Hall from the 29th to the 1st of December. So we sit down and talk about that film festival as well. All of this on this show, so stay tuned. Welcome to November edition. I'm here with uh, two regulars, and uh, but I haven't. I don't think we've been recording for a while. Gary, how, Gary, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been a it's been a few months. I think it was the uh, Edinburgh Film Festival was the last episode I've done. So, uh, but yeah, I'm good. Glad to be back. Yeah, and you took a trip to the U.S. for a bit, right? And uh, did you see any famous? film um places or go to any good cinemas um we we did so yeah i was i was away for a couple of weeks I went to colorado springs um and at denver new york as well and obviously when you're walking around new york there's just sites from all, all your favorite films we went to cat's deli <laughs> uh, and we also we we saw the went to the carousel that's featured in the poster of um past lives so that was like oh her little nice film, yeah like the little film tourism part mm-hmm. of the but um yeah it was a really good trip um but it has kind of kept me away from writing so i've not reviewed anything since september so um back at it now obviously we're coming into award season so there's lots of films coming out in the next few weeks yeah i'll be writing and podcasting a lot more soon tons of films coming out i mean feel like this weekend is full of films i have yet to see and um yeah we're just exciting for the next couple of months which uh for for film reviewers and film critics we're also here with amaya um amaya and i just came back from amsterdam um for covering the um international documentary festival amsterdam amaya how are you i'm good thank you uh so yeah we um we'll, we'll be covering that later on in the um in the show uh more films and including an interview with one of the directors but first up, we're going to do a uh, film review of the uh, film that won the Palme d'Or this year, uh, Anatomy of a Fall. And Gary, do you want to tell us about a um, little bit of an overview or summary of this film? Yes. So, um, yes, Anatomy of a Fall, it's the latest film by the director, Justine Fier. Um She's a French filmmaker, and this film is set in France. And um, it's kind of like a, it's a mysterious death drama that turns into a courtroom thriller and um, so the premise is um basically the, there's a there's a um a marriage between a german woman and a french man and they've got a, they've got a young son 
um, who's uh, visually impaired. He he's out walking his dog. One day, it comes comes back to their home and finds his dad lying dead, um, and just outside the house. And um, so the film starts with that shocking moment, and then uh, kind of unpacks it over over two and a half hours, and gets into the nitty gritty detail of what happened, and you get you get a feel for their backstories, and then it. Um, kind of around halfway through it goes into like a courtroom drama setting and um yeah i think it's, it's a fantastic film i think it's um brilliantly acted um really well made um and it also um flies by i think the runtime it's two and a half hours but doesn't feel like that at all and um yeah i was really really impressed by this film very accomplished um interested to know what what you both think of it Yes, I, I I totally agree with you. I am not, uh, in general, that much attracted to films that are like, you know, courtroom dramas. I find them a big one in general. But obviously, I was really interested in this one also because, you know, it it received the palm d'or. So that's, in a way, always recognition of quality. And also, I had seen the trailer and it looked like really interesting. So, um, as you said, I... The, the, it's super long, but, but it really is worth every minute of it. The tension, the playfulness between the characters is actually, there's a lot of humor in the film, which I didn't expect at all. And um, it's also a very interesting take on these gender dynamics as well, which, I mean, I'm always thinking about these things, but like, I really love the argument and I, I don't want to say much about it because obviously it's, it's a very important part of the film so for those people that haven't watched the film yet but i thought it was brilliant the way that dialogue unfolds and and we see the gender dynamic the, the, the gender role dynamics there and, and um yeah as you said it's it's, it's really amazingly the, the actors are all brilliant all of them and um yeah, I I haven't watched any other films by by this director before, so I, I can't really say much about her work. And uh, maybe maybe you both know a bit more about her previous work, but I I thought it was a, a really brilliant piece of film and super entertaining and also food for thought in in different ways and. And also, like, the ending, I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about the ending, but it's still kind of inconclusive in a way, and, and you never know. So I, I also like that about the film. Um, yeah. What did you think about it, Amanda? Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. I'm not a courtroom drama person either, and I wasn't, I, I don't think, actually, I don't think any of the posters or things got me really excited. It was probably the palm door that got me excited, and then... um. It oftentimes takes me a while to get into a film, uh, to be honest. And I'm really glad that I wasn't late for this film because sometimes I accidentally come in a bit late or something like that. And uh, this is like everything happens, obviously, right at the beginning to set, set everything up. And then I was thinking, well, oh my gosh, what's going to go on for the next two and a half hours? Um, but I was captivated through the whole thing. I thought, you know, and I think you were saying the inconclusiveness of I, of that i think is what makes it interesting too and i think i think slightly i think it's about your and and the gender dynamics i really noted but i think specifically in the courtroom and how people perceived the um defendant the wife and um and and you know and also 
even I thought the the son was a really interesting, um, you know, a actor. I think did a really great job. It was really like sort of this idea of memory and what you remember and 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 how things happen and whether or not you can whether whether you want to believe or, or you you do believe or and, and and trust and and whatnot. So I think that inconclusiveness of whether or not. Um, you know, we know the truth of of what happened or not is 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 well, a, a really important part of the main structure of the film um, to 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 keep that open. And um, I, I you know I I think that was really one of the fascinating parts of it because you never totally knew which way it was going to go. And um, I think that was what was interesting for me. Gary, do you agree or disagree? Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think like it's quite rare in a in a film um these days where you're watching a film and you genuinely don't know where it's going to go or what the outcome is going to be and i think this one uh does that very well and the dialogue is fantastic and and the argument scene like you say amaya and then generally like through the through the whole uh courtroom scenes as well um a film i would liken it to is uh san omer which we um we reviewed earlier in the year um which is a very um detailed and intricate courtroom drama and this one's got elements of that um and i yeah i, I was totally engrossed by it. I, I would mention the um the actor who plays the prosecution lawyer i think is fantastic i feel like he, he threatens to steal the film in some moments with his uh, his performance his name's antoine reynards and um, so yeah i thought he was fantastic um it was a little bit like you amanda and uh, i didn't really know what i was um, getting when I when I went into the film, I actually saw it. It was a surprise screening, so it had been heavily rumored that it was going to be an animated fall. I think the the sort of the release dates kind of lined up for it, um, and I, I I knew that it won the Palm d'Or. Um, it also um, won the Palm Dog Award. So the, there's a dog in this. The family dog is a there's some fantastic uh, acting from a, an animal. There's some some kind of pivotal scenes with the dog as the film uh, develops and I think the dog's fantastic as well. Um, I will just say, touching on what you'd said earlier, I haven't seen uh, loads of Justin Trier's work, but seen a film uh, called Sybil, which she made a few years ago. It's kind of about uh, the relationship between a um, therapist and her patient and uh, Sandra Huller is in that, uh, but in a very brief supporting role. Um, She's fantastic in that. And um, yeah, I think she really, um, yeah, she's really great in this. And I, I know that she's, there's kind of, I know around this time of year, we always like, whenever we're talking about films, there's always like that um, talk around like awards. And I think her, her name is getting thrown around. I wouldn't be surprised if she's she's nominated uh, for that. And she's also in um, Zone of Interest, the new Jonathan Glazer film, which I've not seen yet, but her, she's fantastic in that as well. So um yeah, th thank you for mentioning the dog as well because I was in so much distress at some point. And the dog is fantastic. And I know that the credits is the first one to appear on the credits as well. I thought that was very cute of the, of the filmmakers. But um, I just wanted to mention that, um, yeah, the actor that you just mentioned that plays the prosecutor, he was also in uh, 120 bits per minute, which is this fantastic film by... Hovan Campillo um, about the whole movement of um, ACT UP in Paris during the 80s, during the crisis of AIDS. And um, yeah, we were like, oh, this, this 
this face on familiar one with a friend and and then we're like oh yeah he's uh, in 120 bits per minute as well and yeah it's the he, he's just a fascinating character and the way that he's like taking the books uh of 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 uh, Sandra, you know, as a sort of e example of that she's a murderer, and then uh, he doesn't believe the the child's version of the story because he's subjective. It's like your whole conception of subjectivity is really fascinating. And I was just going to mention as well that the only thing I not that I didn't like, but I didn't believe, is the fact that the child is put through the whole court. Uh, you know the whole trial i thought that was i mean I, I don't think that would happen in real life that like a minor has to experience that whole thing when he's also uh, obviously experiencing trauma still because his dad is dead so um yeah i just didn't believe that bit of the film but apart from that i thought it was well-rounded and really well made and um, yeah yeah, I, I I agree with you on um, Gary. I I thought a lot of Saint Omer as well um, by seeing this film, but I, think I liked them both, you know. But I, I liked this film a bit more. I think it was also because that one was like playing with style in a in a way that was was slightly slightly focused on the style of the film versus this one, which was I think very much focused on the emotion and the story and and was able to kind of go back and forth with flashbacks and things like that. That they kept the story captivating and interesting for quite a long time. Well, that's Anatomy of a Fall. I think we all agree that film is great, and um, we 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 highly recommend it. Uh, go see it in the cinema, um, and it's worth your two and a half hours. Uh, so that um, on to the next. going to review is uh, Loch Ness They Created a Monster a documentary by John McClaverty um, and it's a very archive rich documentary uh, focusing on the search for the Loch Ness Monster and I think like kind of the frenzy around that in the 70s and 80s which honestly I've always heard, we, I think we've always heard of the Loch Ness Monster and especially some people who live in Scotland or from Scotland you know it's quite a tourist attraction but um, back then it was quite a hunt um and there was a lot of uh so the the film really focuses on the hunters the the people you know trying to find and the eccentricities of that story versus the actual Loch Ness monster um and you know whether or not uh, those those were true but I mean they had some quite serious people who were talking about it very seriously like you had Leonard Nimoy do a stand-up you know intro to a show David Attenborough, you know, like in this archive. So it, it brings a lot of, um, yeah, so sort of like the whole craze of it and the history that I hadn't, I didn't know about. Um, just always, I actually never been to Loch Ness, but uh, 
uh, you know, was was fascinating. It's my kind of film in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think they're. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about maybe my reservations on the film, uh, but overall, you know, it, it was an enjoyable watch. Uh, Gary, what did you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and you, you'll know more about documentary filmmaking than, than me. I don't tend to watch that many documentaries. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one. And I think, um, like say, I'm Scottish, grown up in Scotland, so obviously very aware of um, the tourist aspect around Nessie. Um, but it was actually quite a surprise to me. I didn't realize that people uh, were so seriously hunting it back in the 60s and 70s. So um, I found it quite informative as well. Um, it's quite interesting seeing these different um, different efforts, like the the the, the London-based guy Frank Searle, who uh, who um, kind of lived on the on the on the shores of Loch Ness for on the banks of Loch Ness for like 20 years, and he became kind of part of the tourist attraction itself, where people would go to see the lot and but also to see his um his caravan and um so that's like a, a really kind of um kind of creepy but kind of like a fun like amazing story within a story in this documentary mm. i liked how how they kind of uh, dropped in parts uh with him um throughout it but um yeah i thought it was well made and i was surprised to see like uh like you say david attenborough turn up uh, michael parkinson there was like some recognizable faces talking about it and I, I think it also does a good job of like um looking at Loch Ness and the Loch Ness monster from different angles so you get the kind of the the hunter aspect which the film is kind of largely focused on but then there's also some sections around like the the tourism like the bus tours and then like the merchandise and this consumerism aspects around it and I was amazed to read that it brings in I think it was uh 50 million pounds per year um yeah. tourism um in and around the Loch Ness monster so um yeah I had fun with it um yeah. what, what were your reservations around it Amanda yeah I mean I think I'm a huge fan of archive film and I really got into the archive aspects of it there were parts of this drone footage and I, I think jump and and the kind of bus where the tourist bus and stuff like that it really pulled me away from the I mean kind of maybe the now was pulling me away a little bit from from the then and um and in a, in a way that I didn't think was necessary or as polished um and I think the story was quite lovely from the archive side I guess is is, is was my thought and I think there there could have been a little bit less of that sort of typical drone shot that I would normally I I just sort of attune that to I mean honestly I have a drone and I love I love drone shots but I think sometimes I see that and I think of a Netflix you know like true crime film or something like that so and maybe the reenactment of the Frank character as well but I but I did I did like I I made me think a lot about uh why people do these things and I, I thought I sort of thought again 70s and 80s is a little early for me but you know in the 90s and with the Titanic and and whatnot I feel like there's kind of a similar sort of frenzy around around that and when we we kind of uh, people from all over the world and I thought that was what was really interesting is as someone who didn't grow up in Scotland but now lives in Scotland 
knew of Loch Ness and want and and in some aspects this romanticism of wanting to believe and whether or not the you know people dedicating their lives you know to the banks of a you know of a you know just to search for it was is fascinating and why people do that you know I think in similar situation with Titanic you know you look at I mean I love to give James Cameron a a bad rap but like you know like he made a film because he was obsessed with it like he wanted to go down there but anyway I just uh I think there's there's something really interesting about why people do these things I don't think that the film is about believing or not I think you have to be romantic I suppose to believe it but it's more about the why people do what they do and why people did this at this time and why we get so excited around it and why there still is this tourist fascination with it so it it made me appreciate it more. Maybe I will go to Loch Ness and and look look for it. <laughs> I, I guess it was just that I didn't I didn't need necessarily need to see all kind of that modern day stuff as much as I liked the the archive based part of the story. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. I, I think it does um, it does kind of take you out the out the film a little bit, and I do think that the um, the Sort of 60s and 70s, 80s, uh, these these um, mostly men, there's a women in, in Belgium as well, who's had a, a fascination with finding the monster or getting footage of the monster. But I do think that the, I mentioned them earlier, but to mention Frank Serral again, I feel like there could be a film solely yeah. about, um, which would be an interesting to see. Um, but I think that it'll, people who are already interested in wellness monster will enjoy this film and it and people who aren't might it, it won't um it won't harm the Loch Ness uh, tourist industry with this film doing the round so hope um, people go and see it yeah absolutely and it did um play at the Inverness Film Festival just a shout out for the Inverness Film Festival and I think it won um the second yeah the second uh the second audience award first being Tish which we just showed uh and a shout out to Tish because it's currently out in cinemas right now um, around the photographer Tish Murtha. So check that out if you can. But um, yeah, it's doing well where Loch Ness, they created monsters. It's very popular with audiences. So I think it's it's a fun watch. It's not a, you know, it's not a challenging watch. So if you want to, if you want to learn a little bit more about the Loch Ness frenzy, uh, go watch it. going to review is Femme, which is out 1st of December. And uh, Gary, you saw this film, I think, at Glasgow Film Festival, or you saw it previously, right? Or no? Yeah, I saw it at um, Edinburgh Film Festival. Oh, okay. Edinburgh Film Festival. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, the film is directed by Sam H. Freeman and Ng-Chun-Pen. And um, they actually uh, made a short film called Femme in 2021. So this is the feature adaptation of their own short film. And uh, the story follows uh, 
a man called Jules, who is a, uh, he's a drag act performer and, uh, he goes under the flamboyant alias of Aphrodite Banks. And you see a, a performance, a drag performance in the opening, uh, moments of the film. Um, then on, on his way home, he gets, he gets brutally attacked by a thug called Preston, who's like kind of egged on by his friends as this horrible homophobic that um preston is played by uh george mckay um and then like the film moves forward a few months and the paths of the two men cross again but in quite unexpected circumstances and then the film kind of explores this growing and shifting and changing dynamic between the two men um yeah what did, what did you think of this amanda you said it, it was quite terrifying yeah, I mean, this film was probably one of the the scarier films I have I I I've, I've seen in a while. I was terrified for uh, Jules, the main character, uh, d- played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, and I, uh, I mean, George Mackay was such an evil like character at the very beginning, and and um, I was I was sort of not a like. I, I was n- I was not convinced why the main character Jules was going forward to, to continue to engage with the person who perpetrated such a horrible act on him, and I think that trauma, you know. So I I was curious, but I was I found myself like nervous, you know, throughout pretty much most of the film, even up to the end, and not give anything completely away. Um, I think it was a really interesting film because and I think it was I think it is an important film, but um, but yeah, I just sometimes my motivations on why you would you would re-engage in that trauma uh, was 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 hard for me. Um, you know, but I but it wasn't that I, I I'm glad I got through the film for sure. How about you? What do you think of the film? It was very intense. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. You kind of question the motivations of um. Of um, uh, Jules's character, yeah, played uh, brilliantly played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, um, and the, the film deals with like um, pretty heavy topics around toxic masculinity and revenge porn, uh, and yeah, that idea of like how far you're going to go for for revenge, um, very much a film of like uh, masks or like masquerading, and um, yeah, I think the film plays with that very well because. The, the the obvious mask really is that uh, Jules lives his life um, kind of um, performing as this drag performer who seems pretty different to what he's like without all the clothing and the makeup on. Um, but then, like as the, as the film goes on, you realize that Preston's also wearing a mask of sorts, or he's kind of yeah, George McKay's pretty um, unrecognizable from his roles that people might know him from and things like Sunshine on Leith and Pride. Like he's got this ranking 17 where he's like, um, kind of the, the, the hero, um, type, but he has played villains before. He was really, really great playing, um, Ned Kelly and, uh, true history. So we, we knew that he, he had that in his locker, but in this film, he's killed with tattoos and he's bulked up and he's pretty, uh, pretty scary. Um, so it is like, it's, fun to see the the casting like how how he kind of transforms into this into this villain um but it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a complex performance um 
And yeah, so I was looking up, I'm quite interested in seeing the, the short film that was based on the, the casting is quite interesting. In the short film, the, the characters, Jules was played by Papa Essidou, Preston was played by Harris Dickinson, another two uh, great performers. That I thought was quite interesting to, to know. And I think part part of me was thinking like the, the writing of the characters in the beginning, I kind of thought like, is this character of Preston authentic in terms of like what a thuggish homophobic villain would be like in London or is it like a bit of a caricature and then the performances as the film goes on really elevates the script to yeah I think George McKay is a great great actor and I think really the strength of the film is his performance and also Nathan Stewart Jarrett who's who's also uh, I really like him remembered him from his his days in Misfits he's 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 really good um so yeah, I think it was uh, yeah an intense, important film. Deals with heavy topics, but yeah, it's really elevated by those uh, central performances. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think a really good point about you mean about masks and and um, yeah, I think one of the things that the main character Joel says is as one client says she like when you're talking about the performing as a, that she was the real me versus you know and me as the performer inside and. And sort of the way that one has to deal with the masks that you wear and in in life, and I think um, I think you said the performances is what drove this film and kept me interested. I really think that that more than I would say the writing or like I said the motivations. Like I think it was hard for me at the very beginning to to with the story to believe that someone would you know reengage with that. But you know again maybe that's just my own personal predilection and you know um on and how how frightening i felt but i felt the the way the film the film with from the music to the way that was shot and everything like that um was very scary and it was uh, i think uh uh, that's what his intention was to be and i think very thought-provoking as well so um worth worth a worth watching a lot more um intense than our previous film we talked about loch ness uh so a little bit uh darker of a film experience um but uh but but worth it all the same yeah definitely yeah i'd recommend seeing the film as uh, signature entertainment or releasing it in cinemas and then it'll be on demand i think um but in cinemas probably for a short run from the first of december um and yeah like you say the film also looks really good it kind of takes place in this kind of dark underbelly of london where it's all neon uh neon lights and you don't know quite what's going to be lurking in the shadow and behind each corner and uh yeah it really creates this in- intensity that uh as as Jules kind of wrestles with the, the trauma of the attack and kind of has uh, motivations around um getting past that and finding closure and, and what that means for um what that means for Preston once once they um cross paths again so yeah it's very good great so check out Femme in its first of December correct is it my or yeah uh, so check it out in cinemas then, and um, uh, we'll when we come back, we'll be talking about IDFA um, at the Documentary Festival in Amsterdam.
And so today I'm here with Amaya Benuelos Marco, and we're talking about IDFA 2023, the biggest documentary festival, I believe, in the world. Maya and I both went for the first part of this year's uh, festival. Maya, you've been to IDFA many times before, correct? Well, I even say many times, just <laughs> a couple of times before. Yeah, I went in 2018 and 2019, so just before the pandemic. And uh, so I was really excited to to come back to the festival because, as you said, it's the largest documentary film festival in the world. Um, well, I mean, when they say that, you don't know if they refer to Europe, to the entire world, or but yeah, it's it's kind of a very well-renowned festival for documentary film. So it was exciting to be back and to be back with you as well because it's always nice to sort of share uh, screenings and thoughts about the films with someone else. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we did that a, f um, a few years back, no, two years back and with Berlin Alley. But um, I, you know, always admired IDFA from afar as a documentary filmmaker and documentary lover. Um, went, uh, I think in 2017, wrote a paper about Q&As and went to tons of Q&As for my master's and then went back in 2018 with a focus on the industry program. This year, I think we were mostly thinking about this um, radio show and podcast as well as programming for the doc program. And so much more around watching the films, but also really appreciated the Q&As. And we'll be talking about a few films that we experienced, um, some uh, filmmaker Q&As that were really quite wonderful and glad that we encountered those. First film we're going to review on this IDFA edition is um, El Echo. And uh, Amaya, do you want to sort of give us an intro to that film and what this what we saw? Yes, of course. So El Echo or The Echo in this English title is the latest film by Tatiana Hueso, who's a Mexican Salvadorian filmmaker. And this film was part of the Science Strand, which is not a competitive strand at the ITFA festival. And um, this film, it, it already had caught our eyes because we we knew that it had won two very important awards at the Berlinale this year. So it received the Encounters Award for Best Director and also the Berlinale Documentary Award at this year's Berlin International Film Festival. The film has also received other awards at Morelia Film Festival, which is a very important film festival in Mexico. And so, yeah, we were just very excited to see this film at IDFA. And, and as you said, it was really great as well that it had a talk with the filmmaker afterwards, um, which was, it's, it's a bit of a different format to the Q&A because it's kind of an extended talk in a way. So it really gave us an opportunity to really hear from the filmmaker and go in depth about the film. So, yeah, the, first, the film... Um, takes us to this remote Mexican village called El Eco. Um, and uh, this is this is a remote village in northern Mexico um, where life consists of the most elementary things. And what's really beautiful about this film is that it focuses on the experiences of three young girls of different ages. So these are Monse, Ruthma and Sarai. And we see how they care for the animals, they care for the land, they care for each other and um, they also care for their grandmother. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was um, like from the from the opening scene, you you, you, you knew that you were there for an, an, an immersive and an absolutely stunning cinematographic experience. Um, 
not just the the aesthetics of the film. I think this is something you and I discuss a lot. That sometimes films can be very heavy on the aesthetic side, but not so much on the content. And then you know they are very beautiful to see, but are they actually good films? Whereas this film really balanced really well the sort of cinematographic aspect. The sound was really important as well. In fact, the filmmaker really talked about how they um, recreated sounds that were really difficult to capture in situ and how they sort of add layers of sound. Um, but just but the film really has a good balance in terms of the aesthetics, as I said, and, and, and the film and the vision of the filmmaker. Um, Tatiana spent four years visiting this community to get to know the people, to really build trust with them. And this is something that is obviously transpires in the film. It, there's no interviews, there's no um, voice of, there's no narration. We really are there with the people, sharing what they are doing. And it, it was just uh, mesmerizing. And, and I think it's one of these films that when you see, you realize that how difficult actually is to get to this point. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a bit of an overview with Sarah. What do you think of, of of the echo? Yeah, and pun intended, but I will echo a lot <laughs> of what you say here, except I, w- I will like to emphasize that one of the reasons why I love going to film festivals like IDFA, and we're fortunate to do that, and Berlinale is sometimes the way in which a film is screened and showcased. And we're not always fortunate to get films like this in, you know, in every city or every place in the world. And I'm not agnostic on how things are screened. And this was particularly at one of the best, um, you know, one of the most exciting museums and cinemas in, in the world at the eye and one of the larger sort of screens. Uh, so it was the first time I'd gotten to go to that particular screen. And from that moment, as you discussed at the, the very beginning of the film, you could tell you're in for a very cinematic experience in that in that setting, very similar to the experience I had with Aquarella uh, when I saw it in Edfa as well, really fits in that kind of experience. So starting off, it's it's a film that if you can see it in a cinema, a, a large cinema, please do. Um, and I think the thing that, you know, you mentioned interviews, of course, uh, I mean, there's a great there's a great deal of dialogue that's happening, you know, that feels sort of interviewee, but it isn't this traditional kind of film. It's very poetic. Um, and there were times where I was thinking, well, what is going on here? And um, and trying to get in, get into it and understand it. And then at the end of the film, I have to say, like, I was quite emotional and I just, you know, I just felt very moved. And I, I, I get quite emotional in film, so I cry a lot. You've been next to me on a few times where I have tears running down my eyes. And and this was one of the cases where I just felt uh, the power of this in a, this film is in is in so much of the poetic nature of 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 the people in the film and the way that the way they were filmed, who they are, and I, I think the the children have such I mean they're not only just gorgeous and beautiful but they're just they're so the the way that um, Tatiana was filming their eyes and their emotions and um and the and every shot was was very was very uh planned and so you know we talk a lot of sometimes about hybrid documentaries this film was was something that 
feels a lot more like a fiction film than you know other documentaries that we saw or that we tend to see. Um, every shot felt like a, a stunning shot that you know you would maybe find in a Hollywood studio film, but not really. Obviously, it's in the Echo Town in Mexico, but uh, the attention to that kind of cinematic uh, shots were were clearly there, and I just sort of sat as a filmmaker just kept thinking wow how did how did she do that <laughs> so I mean I think um you know ha because there was obviously multiple shots of sort of in different scenes I was thinking that when the grandma was kind of being bathed multiple different kinds of shots and how beautiful it was um but it was it was a film like I've never seen before to be honest so I think that was the one thing that I really came out of it um and um, yeah, so I loved that. Um, I also would think the opportunity to see uh, the filmmaker speak about that made me also realize um, how poignant and why I got so emotional. I mean, I think one of the things that um, Tatiana spoke about was when you're in that kind of rural lifestyle, the family, you know, this portrait of a family and um, how, how much children have to grow up um, so quickly and I think that is, that's something, you know, while they're so innocent and be, like I said, there's quite beautiful and, you know, and you're sort of spending time with um, young people, you can also see how much work, how so much hard work it is to, to be working in the land or to be, you know, going through these kinds of daily routines and lifestyle and how beautiful uh, that experience is, but how, 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 how that matures you at such a young age. Um, so that was something I think that was quite poignant about the film as well. Absolutely, and and also like w what feels extraordinary about the film is the way she works with children. And as she said in the talk as well, she's very interested in depicting um, childhood and and the experience of childhood because as as she expressed, it's something that really lasts like a very short span of time. And when you live in a rural community, it's even shorter because they they need to look after each other, look after the land. And um, to me, that was astonishing about the film, the way she directed the film, the way she captures their innocence, their curiosity about the world, the care they put onto the animals and their grandmother. It's, as you said, it's, it's beautiful, it's moving, and it's really touching that, that, that we can experience that in such a genuine and authentic Way. And I dare to say authentic, even though sometimes I'm very reluctant to use this word when talking about a documentary, but it really feels that she has invested herself with this community and has actually managed to build this trust, this bond with the people. And I just wanted to mention as well that her previous film is called Prayers for the Stolen, which is also based on, this, on the novel with the same name by Jennifer Clement. And it also revolves around three girls that are growing up in a rural community in Mexico. But in a way, their innocence is disrupted by this threat of the drug cartels and, and the kidnapping of young girls um, in this area, but also obviously um, echoing, again, using this word, what's actually happening on a larger scale in Mexico. So it's very interesting to see how she's, she's come from prayers for the stone to this one. And kind of there's a thread, there's a common thread in 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 the way that she's interested about childhood, specifically female childhood. I dare mm. to say in the context of rural Mexico, and 
you can see that she has a feminist approach in in this film. There's there's a talk about the the way they care about everything, the way that care work is depicted in the film is heavily, um, you know, heavily carried out by by women. We don't see the men. The men are far away working, presumably in the big city in Mexico, but presumably even in the United States. I mean, that's never said, but that's something that you can think of. And and so this care work relies on the women and and we see these gender divides as well between the children. So it's very interesting how she's actually talking about this, but from a very respectful way as well and with a lot of sensitive and care. So she's a really careful filmmaker. And, and I, I absolutely love that about the film and how many layers the film has and how much care she's putting into the subjects and into the story and what she wants to say with this film. Yeah, and I um, I think this only maybe is a reference to a few people who would have seen our project. It sort of reminds me when you and I worked on this I Can Where I'm Gone project last year, uh, you know, which was focusing on archive of people working the land but also this idea of a cycle of life. And I think, you know, while the children were obviously a huge focus, I think one of the other characters was the grandmother in the film who was really, you know, a really carefully depicted, but also a really special uh, character in the film. And with almost a sense of guilt a bit that, that, you know, so there was a cycle of life kind of conversation happening and and, um, really, really... uh, just beautiful and special um, sort of relationship between the the younger daughter caring for the grandmother and 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 whatnot. So I I just um I really loved every element of it, and I can't wait to see it again. And I think um, probably why we started with this one is one of our favorites. I would assume um, from what we saw and happily. The other thing about Idfa is that you know they they had quite as you said it's because part of the signed. Um, strand, but there was some best of fest strand. I mean, there was just so many films um, that were sh- being shown. And so, if you're a lover of documentary and you can get to see this, it's amazing how many films over the course of that those few days were being, um, were, you know, and it's really a full catalog of some of the best films. And this one was one of my favorites of the year for sure. Yeah, I can, I can. So I, I totally agree with that. And I'm also looking forward to watching it again. So the next film we're going to talk about, I will introduce myself. And I saw it in the same cinema. I just, I, I, I finally went to I Cinema One, and I, I should, I might never leave um, again. <laughs> uh, I want to see all films there, except I really love the Tuchinsky as well. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so Already Made was a film, a Dutch film directed by Barbara Visser, and I was curious about it. The first film I saw, and might talk a little bit more about that later, was about my favorite Fluxus artist, Nam June Pike, 
and I have a weird, not a weird, I have an absolute love and fascination of um, films about Fluxus and films about Dada. So I was quick to go see this film because it's already made, which is um, focusing very much on the one of the most famous ready-made pieces of art uh, called The Fountain, which um, learned quickly, even though I've lived here for quite a few years, that British people call um, urinals, urinals, and I, I call them urinals. But um, yeah, so this famous piece of art is a urinal that you know was in was in a uh, 1917 art exhibit and has been attributed to Marcel Duchamp, and it was signed as Armut, and it's uh, you know over time been considered one of the most important modern art, the beginning of conceptual art and everything like that. And this film um, brings into question, I suppose, or, or brings up the controversy that's, I think, been happening, I guess, online. It feels like a little bit of a conspiracy sort of thing um, in the art world where that potentially Marcel Duchamp is not the uh, cre- original creator of this. He, w- he was a Dada artist, so obviously with Dada, it was very much like art is not a what is art and all this sort of stuff. And then and the Dada movement very much was about working together and, and playing on the idea of art. So the call to question of what art is art and whether or not he was the actual artist is all sort of like muddled up in the whole concept of art and that they were playing with. But the main point of this film and is to discuss potentially that the person who came up with this was a woman artist, um, a German avant-garde artist who was also living in New York at the time, Baroness Elsa von Freitag Loringhoven. And the filmmaker really goes into great detail to kind of re-bring up these, not I wouldn't, again, conspiracies or concepts or things, first by taking Marcel Duchamp and looking at his language and whether or not he was a liar and using sort of found footage of people online who, you know, who you would see on YouTube, you know, catching that up and like, you know, making sure, you know, whether or not someone's telling the truth and then going through great detail to, um, you know, discuss it with other people who would say yes or no. And the way that it was done was not your your typical art film. It was done in a very sort of uh, tongue in cheek way, kind of fun, like almost like it was its own, um, what is it? I'm sorry. Am I? You're gonna have to step in. Laptop film. What do you call it? Ah, uh, the, this this talk documentary. Yes, desktop documentary. So there's this <laughs> element of this feature film that feels a little bit like a desktop documentary, and then there's this part that she kind of recreates Bar- Elsa Baroness Elsa, you know, as a movement through, uh, you know, an actor, and so all, there's a whole long process in which we kind of explore this story and. And and mostly with the idea that Elsa von Freitag has been longly, largely forgotten from the archive of the Dada movement as well, um, and, and ignored, or and 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 that becomes a main focus of the film. So all in all, in all, um, I was interested in this story. It's not something I had actually heard about. I was interested in Baroness Elsa von Freitag Lorenhoven. I wouldn't say that that would be the way I would have made that film. I think it went on a little bit too long and here and there, but um, but I but I had a I had fun with it. So Amaya, what did you think? Yeah, I I agree with the last thing that you said. I mean, I was 
you know, I was engaged when I was watching the film. It's a very, definitely very interesting subject matter, and I didn't have any idea about this woman. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because I think it's the history of uh, art, right? Like the amount of things that actually could probably be uh, credited to women and, and the fact is that there's no evidence or there's like, um, it's been concealed. So it, it doesn't surprise me that this could actually have been the the artwork of, of a woman. And as, as the director says, or, or someone in the film says at some point, if if it had been done by a woman, it would have never reached that status in art history as one of the most important um, artworks uh, or masterpieces in the history of art. So obviously, that's interesting. It's again, it's not it's not new. We've seen it before. We know about this. But having said that, it is interesting that she focuses on bringing this woman back to life in a way, using different techniques. And as you said, I was not that keen on some of the stuff she was using. I thought, on the one hand, sometimes it was a bit of a show off of like all the kind of things that they could do in terms of recreating sort of video gaming style. But sometimes I was like, it's kind of diverting our attention as well. But I yeah. guess it's also part of this whole construct as well and, and what kind of becomes an art object as well. So it could be sort of added into the discussion. Um, I I thought it could have been slightly shorter for what was actually going to talk about the film. And But I actually, one of the things that I really enjoyed and probably you did as well, loving archive film, is how they sent this film to restoration and then it comes back and it's completely amazing the work they've done with this little piece of film where they actually are able to identify this person by, by the by the little uh, information they have about her life. So I thought that was very interesting. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a fun film to watch. I think they are really playful and uh, being very comic about the whole thing. The fact, I mean, that one of the masterpieces of art history is uh, urinal, as you said, is, 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 is funny in itself. So I think I think they really play well with this absurdity of, of what constitutes um, masterpiece. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely not my favorite in terms of form, and and yeah, I, I thought I thought it could have been slightly shorter, but definitely worth watching. Again, I, I've seen quite a lot of these mystery films of whether the keeper art film. I mean, it's one of my favorite genres to be honest. Like I love I love art art films. Um, so it wasn't what I was expecting. And so I, I, I have to admit that that's not, you know, that, that that's first my expectations were, were blown a bit. And then yet I was still interested in the subject matter. I give the filmmaker props for doing such a, you know, interesting take. I think the fact they were all sitting in, in like this sort of virtual room talking, um, like in a Starbucks and there was like loud <laughs> noises in there and then whatever I would, that was off-putting in aspects but also funny and like it was just it was weird and like at the same time like maybe again that's a comment of um yeah like what data would be today who knows you know what I mean like I don't I, I don't know but um but yeah, yeah. I, uh, it was fascinating you know to, to it was just not something you would expect like it's not the Leonardo the lost Leonardo or whatever film that like there were three films from last year so no, absolutely. I mean, that bit about the Starbucks I was also like, really, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Aesthetically, 
speaking. Yeah. But I also found it very funny because they are, they are in a virtual space that is a Starbucks and they are having all very philosophical and pretentious reflections of what yeah. it is and who is the actual author of this masterpiece. So it's hilarious in that way. And I didn't expect it. So yeah, it's true that she really, she really achieves this thing of uh, challenging our expectations about what an art documentary is as well, which is true because there's, there's a format associated to art documentaries and she's completely challenging the, the, the whole assumptions around this continuously. So in retrospect, uh, now that we talk about it, I can, yeah, feel that is much worthwhile than when I was watching it and maybe I wasn't feeling that uh, fascinated by it. All right, so already made, um, that was already made. And Amaya, the third film we saw together, and I too, I feel like the films that we're talking about uh, are, are all in the iCinema, uh, was A Cemetery of Cinema. And uh, tell me about that film. Yes, so The Cemetery of Cinema is directed by Yerno Suleiman Diallo. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this name correctly, but that's my attempt. And it's a film by, it's a co-production between France, Senegal, Guinea, and Saudi Arabia. This was part of the Best of Fest strand. And similar to The Echo, this film was nominated for Best Documentary and Panorama Audience Award at the Berlin International Film Festival this year. So again, it has already our attention because it had been in a very important uh, section of the Berlin Berlinale. Um, so this documentary explores film archive in a very specific context, which is the the the, the story of of Guinea. Um, and uh, the film follows the director where he sets out with his camera in search of this 1953 film called. Muramani, directed by Mamadou Touré, which is believed to be the first film ever made in Guinea. So he is tracking down the film, and on this journey, he speaks to different people in the country, but also in France, who know about the film but haven't seen it. So it's a, it's a very, I, I love the film. It was definitely one of the favorites, and uh, my favorites that I watched at IFA. I, I love how he's approaching these. Um, Theme, which is film archives and the fact that film archives are very important to any country's um, history and, and identity, but particularly to um, Guinea and um, the fact that, you know, they, they, um, they had the, the independence war that unfortunately um, caused the destruction of a lot of these archives. But also the fact of who owns the archives in sure. today's world, which is, uh, as we know, <laughs> mostly former colonies. And uh, as much as we love uh, many countries and uh, care with archives, the fact is that they still um, exert a lot of control and power over the archive films of other countries. Mm -hmm. So this is an example of 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 how the filmmaker in a very playful way is he's not pretentious at all he goes on this journey on this quest and um you know we see that everyone is very well aware of the importance of this film and how important it would be to to have a properly cared for archive in the country but in the end he has to go to france where they they have this incredible archive um 
but they, they, they don't actually have the film. And one of the things that I find really interesting as well is that when he's speaking to different people, one of them says that actually there's another film considered the first film of Guinea, which happens to do with the revolution rather than Mura Amani, who is just about um, a shepherd, I believe, and it's just very like everyday life in Guinea. So again, who decides what's the first film in a national cinema? I thought that was brilliantly put across in the film and just um, a very good reflection on canon, on film history canon and and the power of film archives. Um, so definitely worth watching. I hope this film has to see because it's very performative, it's very playful, it's, it really makes you think throughout and it's just very, very entertaining to watch as well, which it doesn't happen usually with this type of subject matter. Um, so yeah, what do you think, Amanda, of, of this film? Yeah, I agree. Um, I I would I'd say the same thing. So we pretty much agree all around. But um, I I think one of the things that really uh, hit me, just similarly to already made that we talked pre- previously about, is obviously the you know how. Yeah, I would. I wish that it had been buttoned up and we had found the film in France, you know, because I do think there was this element of using the archive and the story and being playful with it. And, and already made it was the same thing. But this was maybe more of a traditional story. But also, uh, you know, sharing um, how important these spaces are, archives, cinema spaces, um, you know, to uh, the importance of an archive and films to the history of a country and um and 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 the stories that have been told about them over the years, and yet what we what we actually have, um, and and the importance of, of preserving those um, those those films, I think that they it asks a lot of great questions, and it doesn't have to do it always so seriously. And so I think that this is a really great film uh, to express that. And I think the other the other film that I can briefly mention that I saw that was. Um, was uh was having a similar conversation around cinematic spaces was a film I saw after that called Pictures of Ghosts by Clebe Mendoja Fio around Brazil and these cinema spaces and both these films coming together for me um it really described how attached you know cinema cinema and cinematic spaces are to a country's history and to a, or to a city's place or or whatnot so I think um, I really got a lot out of this film and um, will take a lot from it and hopefully we'll be able to see it again. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so I mentioned a couple of films that I really liked um, as well, which I just said, Pictures of Ghosts. And I also saw a film on Nam June Pike, uh, Moon is the Oldest TV, directed by Amanda Kim. Uh, so I loved those two films. Amaya, just quickly uh, before we finish up this IDFA segment. Um, any other films that you saw during your IDFA experience that you wanted to sh- do a sh- quick shout out about? Yes. So one of the films that I watched and that I loved is called As the Tide Comes In and is a Danish film made by a Spanish filmmaker and it was playing at the international competition. And this is a film that um, focuses on the impacts of climate change on a small, tiny, tiny island um, off the coast of Denmark, where there's only 27 people. And uh, it it focuses on Gregers, who's the last farmer, and um, 
it's 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 a really interesting portrayal of of this island community. It's beautifully shot. It's again the the filmmaker captures really well the the relationships, how closely the community is, but also how in a way they they are not scared of this imminent storm coming to the island that might actually completely drown the island. Um, so it's it's an interesting take on you know, the effects of climate change and, and, and flooding and storms in, in specifically in, in this area, in this region. But also, you know, island community life and um, Gregor's is also trying to, to get on the, this program of uh, uh, meeting, you know, farmer meets uh, wife or once, I don't know what's the title, but I think it's kind of an international um, program. So that's also very interesting to see but um, yeah, he's he's a very interesting character, Gregor's himself. He doesn't play the useful like um, he he has a lot of layers in it. He's rough, but also you can see how how tender, how intimate he is with the animals, with his uh, son. So um, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful film. And actually, we we managed to catch the director before we left on the last day. So we will also have. Um, um, interview with with the director. Great, and yes, and after we come back, um, we'll hear from Amaya speaking to the director of As the Tide Comes In. here with Juan Palacios, who is a director of the As the Tide Comes In, which is your third feature-led film, and is having its world premiere as part of the international competition at IDFA. So first of all, how are you feeling about all of this? Uh, I mean, it's a honor to have the film in such a great festival and in such a, in the, in the, in the, in the main competition. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we couldn't dream of a better start for the mm -hmm. film. I think it's the kind of film that I think it's the right place for 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 this particular film. I think great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and yeah, as, as I said, the world premiere is tomorrow. And then, do you have plans with the film to go to other festivals? Is it still too early for that? No, yet, honestly, because we finished the film in summertime mm -hmm. and we haven't submitted to that many festivals, I think. Okay. It was like, um, I, I, and then the way it got selected is because like the, the, the director of ITFA, Orva, mm -hmm. he uh, he came to the Danish Film Institute to watch uh, some films okay. and that's where he, he found it. So I think this is going to be the start and after this we'll, we'll start yeah. like trying to move it around. Okay. Yeah. So now... Let's move on to the film, sure. and I wanted to, if you could tell us with your own words, what's this film about, and what was the origin of the story? What sort of drew you to to this particular community, and and what why did you wanted to tell this story? Uh, well, what the film is about, I think there are a lot of layers in the mm -hmm. film, but uh, the film is about this little island. Like it's very tiny. It's this little Danish island in the Wadden Sea in the west coast of Denmark. Uh, and it's only 27 people living there. 
and it's 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 a very flat land, right? So, uh, well, the water of the sea is getting warmer because of climate change. Uh, also, like the storms are becoming more violent. So, yeah, and also like the 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 dikes that are like protecting the island are pretty much obsolete because there is almost no one living there anymore. So, like the government doesn't really, uh, you know, invest that much money. Mm-hmm. So, the film, in a way, it's about like. Uh, speculating about this possible storm that could come and wipe them out. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's a little bit of a film about waiting. Like we have these characters that, in a way, because they've been living there for such a long time, uh, also uh, pretty much in relation with uh, with the storms and with the sea, they kind of like, sometimes there is this feeling that they are more carefree. Like they, they kind of like, ah, they take it as as. If it was something normal, yeah. Um, I mean, however, like you know, like scientists say that you know, like the storm that could come, it could be like more destructive than the ones before because yeah, because of the new situation with the sea. Yeah, and that's interesting that you said that because definitely there's something in the film very interesting, which is this sort of tension between the islanders and the outside world, meaning the people in the capital in Copenhagen who are warning them about climate change, whereas for them it's like, it's kind of part of their day-to-day and they they see it as like a little bit of wind or there's always been change, you know, yeah. that's what, that's what Greider said at some point. And I was just wanting to ask you as well, because you have a background in environmental sciences. And then obviously, I guess this was also your interest of, of like addressing this issue in this particular community. But um, yeah, how how do you approach this topic to the islanders when it feels like, not that they are close off or that they are denying climate change, but maybe they don't speak about it in the sort of alarming ways that, that maybe people in the in, in another context do. So what was your approach with, with them? Ooh, right. Um, I mean, I, I'm into contradictions. <laughs> like wherever there is a contradiction, I think for me there is something that uh, attracts me. Yeah. Uh, I think also we live in a time in which like uh, climate change or the impending ecological catastrophe, it's already the context <laughs> of the of the time when we live in. So you basically don't have to kind of like even mention it. That's already in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like quite an atmospheric film. Mm-hmm. And I'm like into this kind of like of, yeah, this kind of sensation that almost everyone knows that something is coming, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we kind of like look a little bit the other way sometimes. And I think the islanders uh, on Manu mm-hmm. are a little bit like that. They mm-hmm. they 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 know like they they know they are at risk. Like mm-hmm. even even like Gregas acknowledges that you know, and he knows that the dikes are old. Yeah. But at the same time, I think maybe because sometimes they might feel a little bit powerless because they can't, there's not much they can do about it. Yeah. So maybe they try they prefer like looking yeah the other way mm-hmm. um so was that your, it was that your connection to this to this community specifically how did you find out about them and uh, why did you wanted to talk about them uh so the project started like um so uh andreas dasgor mm-hmm. he's the he's the the main producer at elk at the, the production company that produced the film uh he went on a visit to this island on his own like a particular uh like yeah, on a summer vacation. Okay. And and he really he really liked the peculiarities of the reality of the island mm-hmm. and he thought that uh you know there might be a film here. Mm-hmm. And then he he proposed me to 
direct this film. Okay. Uh, so that's how 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 it began. Like it's it wasn't something like I like my previous films. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this this wasn't a film that uh, came from me. Mm-hmm. It was like proposed to me. Um, but I mean, it was like the main idea was like to make a film about this island. Then yeah. then then I had to figure out all the approach and and. There was also a lot of a lot of writing involved, yeah. actually. But that's quite interesting as well because, like, one of the, for me, amazing things about this film is the the intimacy that you build with the characters, and knowing that you are not from that community and that you know it was not your sort of first impulse to to do this story is even much more, um, yeah, um, striking that that you actually managed to to this great deal of intimacy with the islanders and particularly with Gregors who is the main character and is the last farmer in the island so how long did did it take you to build this trust with them how was for you in terms of how easy and challenging was for you to position yourself as a sort of outsider in this close-knit community and and how did you navigate those challenges as well of like showing a story of someone else from an outside, like you know, from an outsider perspective, but as I said, you manage that intimacy. So, oh. if you can tell us a bit yeah. about this, yeah, uh, honestly, like it was so much work, mm-hmm. so much work. I think like big part of the work, like the the, the main part of the work, was actually creating uh, creating the right conditions for us to film. Yeah. It was like it, because in, we didn't film that much. There is not that much material. It was so much about like uh, gaining their trust, like bonding with them, like getting to know their reality and their vital stories, mm-hmm. like very well. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a lot of research involved. Uh, so Sophia, who's the co-director, and she's also like a visual anthropologist. Mm-hmm. So uh, she, at some point, uh, she she spent like a couple of weeks on her own, like on the island, getting to know like twenty-seven islanders like spending time with them, interviewing them, and yeah, basically getting to know their life stories. Mm-hmm. And all all that uh, served as the foundation for the writing. Then with all those stories, we would like discuss the ones that uh, were like maybe uh, more uh, uh, more relevant mm-hmm. to kind of uh, reveal the layers of, of, of the thematic layers of the film. Like, like some stories would like help us to, I don't know, to kind of like uh, surface something about about the road that uh, it's connecting the island mm-hmm. with the mainland that gets flooded uh, twice a day. So there were, yeah, it were like in their personal narratives, there were like certain elements that would help us uh, somehow like, yeah, reveal different yeah. stuff. Yeah, like about the moon island. thing, I really like Yeah, yeah, for instance, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Like how the new moon affects you, but obviously we know that moon affects tides as well, so I, I thought that was quite a nice yeah. aspect of, of the film. And obviously you also managed to get a lot of humor out of their everyday lives, which I thought that was also really good for like a topic that sometimes can feel a bit, you know, gloom and doom, climate change, and um, yeah, I I appreciate that as a spectator. That is is more it's lighthearted, but it's still very, very much deep because we're seeing how it's affecting human lives. Right. And um, so you you touch a bit on on the process and the fact that you did a bit of writing, and and your previous work or your work is also in experimental video in. Um, visual diary film essays so 
So you are a quite a comprehensive artist, whereas this is more like an observational document that you said that you've done some writing. So can you tell us a bit about that? Like how was the, the process of making this document? Is it there was some research and then do you use that research to write a story? How did you choose Gregor's? Was that obvious from the beginning that you wanted to focus the story from the farmer's perspective? Uh, well, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, I think regarding Gregas, um, uh, again, like it's there's something about the contradiction, yeah, that he really embodies hmm. that I found like uh, very interesting. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, on, on one hand, like so, so first of all, he's one of the most active characters on the island, yeah. so it kind of made sense to uh, follow his, well, his 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 life. Yeah. Also, he's the youngest mm. on the island, even though he's 45 yeah. or something. But he, if there is any future for the island, he might be the future. Uh, so that we found that interesting. Also, him being the last farmer. But there was also something about his attitude that, that I found like very interesting. He's like very self-sufficient. Yeah. So he's an island in, 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 in itself, right? Like there's some, yeah. And then, and then, but then there is also like this he kind of has this kind of like love-hate relationship with the place because on one hand, like, I mean, his whole identity is based on the island, on being an islander. But at the same time, as it is shown in the film, also he, he well, he was younger, he, he wanted to leave. And in the end, like being a farmer is something that he inherited from, from his parents. And maybe it's not something that he really, he really wanted. So in a way, like, yeah, it's part of his identity, the island, but at the same time, it's like, a little bit of a burden. So there is this contradiction uh, that I found interesting. And also I think the fact that he's a uh, hunter, for me there is something about hunters that it's incredible because Gregas is such a knowledgeable person. He knows so much about the island and about all the animals that live there. He actually loves all those animals. Like he, they, when, when he talks about them, you, you can tell the kind of like tenderness. He really knows those, yeah. those birds. Uh, but then he also hunts for them. And for me, that's like a very strange con contradiction that I find, uh, like, yeah, I, I found appealing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that was in regards to Gregas. And then uh, the other question was about the writing process, right? Yeah, and the process of making this film and, and the particular angles that you chose, as you said, there's many layers. Yeah. And, and how do you, how much writing was there involved? Yeah, I think the writing was um, a lot in regards, like, so we, we didn't want to have interviews in the film. So most of the time, like whenever we want to have some sort of oral story, uh, it's an encounter between two characters, right? And and they 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 start talking. So actually creating those encounters, that was really the the the, the, the big writing planning process because it's that's not something that is just happening there, right? You have to create the situation and the condition both for the encounter to happen, but also to film it in the way we wanted to film it, like to, to, to create like some sort of like an interesting cinematic texture. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think there was a lot of writing and planning in regards to that, mm -hmm. but it was a lot about planning for, uh, because we could plan the situation, but that then whatever that happened there, that was very spontaneous. Yeah. Like we, we kind of could create like the in and out of the scene, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But whatever that would happen there, it was like very genuine. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was so much writing for those spontaneous encounters to happen, and that was that was so much work. That was really like big part of the of the work. 
modern filming in itself. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about the challenge, because, you know, I know that you, you have this sort of more artsy background in experimental video, and how was for you, like, filming these big storms and, like, in terms of, of was it, like, challenging for you, actually, to be out there in the storm filming these and the floods and maybe your equipment getting damaged? Like, yeah. how, how was that as well? It was a challenge, mm. but I also love the challenge, yeah. I must say. Uh, I know, like, when when I'm looking for, uh, when I'm in this aesthetic search, mm. like, there's so fuel that keeps me going. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like... It, Your equipment is still in one piece. <laughs> I, think, I think it was insurance, so... Okay. <laughs> yeah, still, still, still working, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you answered that question. Yeah, no, it's 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 just yeah. I thought, I mean, the film is very beautifully shot, and uh, but obviously, because we see the storm and it actually feels very threatening. So in that way, it's also very immersive because you are out there with the character and the storm is coming. And right, you know, I'm thinking about you know you as well as a filmmaker or, or your crew, and yeah, the challenges posed by by this changing light as well. But yeah, I mean, you are an experienced filmmaker, so. Um, my last question is just because, you know, as I just said before, we live in climate change. This is our current context. What can we learn from the people in this island, from their approach to how they go on with their day-to-day, -day, how they are handling these rising seas? What can we learn from them? Because it seems like I really like that from the film that, you know, they are like, oh, what are the people from Copenhagen going to tell us? So. What can we learn from them? That's sad. In your view. Yeah, I mean, there is certainly something about like, uh, I mean, they kind of like uh, have this idea of like that everything is changing all the time. Like they have it like very much integrated. They, they live in a landscape that has been changing all the time. It's like these islands actually. Like it's something that get like in geological terms, ah, uh, they get created and 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 they disappear quite quick in geological terms. Uh, and it's also like an island that has been changing a lot. Uh, they 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 overcame like a, like different floodings. Mm -hmm. So I don't know maybe there is something about like dealing with uh, with the forces. Yeah, the resilience. Yeah, yeah. I think there is, and maybe not not. Fearing it, but like maybe learning to live with it. I don't know. That's yeah. something I kind of came just, just no, no, with to that feeling from the film. Totally, way. totally. Yeah, uh, cer certainly. I'm not like in the film. I don't think I'm trying to encode a message. But it's like I, I think this is like something that people are going to read when they watch the film. Mm -hmm. uh, learning to say something else regarding this. Uh, Which is also interesting because you know, like there's this whole genre of environmental documentaries and this is as you said is not lecturing you're not giving any didactic message or you're not trying to put it across any agenda but it's more like how climate change is affecting this specific yeah. community and I think it's it's a very interesting film for us as well in, we are based in Edinburgh in Scotland and flooding is also something that right. really affects Scotland so Definitely, I think it's a film that will resonate a lot, and in other parts of the of the earth, specifically in the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, it's 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 really. I just want to say, just to finish, that thank you for your film. Congratulations! I think it's 
really good portrayal of this community and very immersive. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best with the film. And thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. I'm here with E Wang, who is the uh, director of Queer East Film Festival or Festival, uh, Multi Arts Festival. Uh, he, I've known you for a few years. Uh, thank you so much for being here today um, with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Amanda. So, you have a very exciting lineup coming to Edinburgh. This is not your first time in Edinburgh. You've been here um, many times before, a couple times before. Um, Tell me a little bit about what's coming to Summer Hall and uh, City Chambers this at the end of this month. Yeah, so uh, this year we will be uh, working uh, with uh, Summer Hall for the very first uh, in their cinema space. So there will be four screenings at uh, Summer Hall uh, from 29th to of December, uh, November to 2nd of December. And uh, we will be showing our three feature films from Taiwan, Hong Kong, and China, and also a short film collection that uh, titled All About My Mother, which uh, consists of six short films from different East and Southeast Asian countries that all deal with uh, the complicated relationship between queer kids and their mother. And very specially, actually, we will also have a VR showcase uh, at the summer hall that are running through the entire four days. And that's a free uh, working event uh, with a VR production from Taiwan uh, called In the Mist, uh, which was a VR production we did last year. And then um, the screenings were also out in London last year. So we were just thinking, oh, it would be great to bring it back. Uh, so that will happen across the four days in summer hall as well. And very specially, actually, uh, we will be running a panel discussion uh, with you, Amanda, and also with Indigo from Scrooge, a Scottish uh, international, a Scottish queer international film festival, and also um, Marvin from Edinburgh Community Cinema Pro uh, Project. And the conversation will be uh, surrounding by the topics about community accessibility and also how we uh, use cinema as a tool to bring the community and creative society together. Yeah, wonderful. And I'm very excited for that event as well um, and the films. Um, you know, I know you personally, but I, I, I really loved watching the journey of your festival. And um, if you could just take us back a little bit on you're based in London, correct? But you, but why you started the festival and how it's sort of evolved over time and now coming, you know, to different locations and touring. And I mean, it's, it's a really exciting story. Yeah. So every time I uh, talk about the, 
the journey of me starting Create is um, it was literally come uh, came from a very selfish uh, reason is that uh, I am a huge fan of East and Southeast Asian queer cinema. And during my time uh, spending, uh, during my time in London uh, over the past seven years, um, I found that I didn't really had uh, opportunities and um, uh, sort of uh, a set um ways to watch all these uh, East and Southeast Asian queer cinema. And so I just had this idea, a very naive idea that I, I had no relationship with film industry before. Uh, but back in 2019, I had this idea of why not uh, putting together a, a, actually a film series about East and Southeast Asian uh, queer cinema. And uh, I was lucky enough to get some funding uh, from Mayor of London and also from BFI to support the series. And um, it just from like a very small project then sort of began a, a big festival. And the first year supposed to happen in 2020, uh, which is definitely the best year to starting a new festival. I don't know <laughs> if you heard it, something called pandemic. Something happened, but, yeah. But that was us. <laughs> yeah, and then... So we move things to online, and but like the festival's still there, and we managed to get really um, uh, good sort of online presence in our first year, and a lot of people are really were really interested in the idea of uh, East and Southeast Asian queer cinema because I'm sure that back then there were so many people that they they didn't really have a had a chance before to see these uh, films. Yeah. So the festival then sort of becoming bigger and bigger. We got really great partnership with, um, from like BFI South Bank, Barbican Center to a lot of brilliant independent and community cinemas. And yeah, so that's kind of like the festival is currently based in London. So we run a two weeks festival across 10 venues in London. And then uh, uh, sort of like 2021, so second year of the festival of I don't want this film just being seen by London audience because you know, like all the events, cultural events are happening in London, and I think like um, all these films they are very rare uh, to have this chance to be shown to the public in the uh, to to the audience in the UK. So I just had this idea, and of course there were some funding support for us to do this. So we start uh, taking our films to different locations in the UK and start from like seven cities. Uh, now we are sort of working with around 10 to 15 cities uh, across the country and showcase a collection of festival highlights every year. Yeah, um, that's, I mean, it's an amazing story. And I think the two points of it, which really come out to me is you starting not from a film background, but seeing the power of cinema to bring the queer community together to to and and what you're what you're trying to do by bringing it across different locations and different areas, not just sort of cities that you would expect to sort of see this, um, by building a community around East queer cinema. How, what have you learned or what have you heard from audiences about um, about what you're doing? Have you have you heard great feedback or or over the, over the years? Yeah. 
Yeah, of course I will only say great things. <laughs> but but like no, I think it is very encouraging in terms of audience feedback. Um, because of course, like we uh usually do surveys uh in our screenings, and um, that's also a very great tool for us to understand our audience. Um, the majority of audience I find uh is they really appreciate the space we create, and I think that's sort of the it. That's sort of the the core ideology of queries is we trying to build up this space that uh did exist in the UK before that it is a space for East and Southeast Asian communities uh and queer communities to come together to see the on-screen representation that they didn't had a sort of they didn't uh get a chance to see before. Also, for general public, they um, have this space to uh, have a chance to understand East and Southeast uh, Asian queer cultures that are often excluded from the mainstream queer narratives in this country. Because, of course, we all know sort of the queer narratives here are very uh, white gay men centric. Uh, that's always a criticism about like a queer narrative in in this country, and then. I feel that um, I very appreciate that our audience um, know what we are trying to do, and then they sort of um, resonate with all the jobs we are doing here uh, of like creating this space. And I think the other thing is um, we also hear a lot of positive feedback from filmmakers because mm -hmm. a lot of these uh, filmmakers uh, either they are from East and South. They are directly from East and Southeast Asian backgrounds or not. Um, these kind of uh, queer Asian narratives are not usually being selected by a lot of film festivals across the world. And they are really happy there's a platform that centers on this storytelling and have these uh, opportunities to bring their stories and pre to bring their, uh, share their filmmakings with a wider audience. Um, in the UK, and I think the third perspective will be audience outside London, because um, we, when I go to tour, I usually go to tour with our, uh, I usually go to different cities with our touring programs, and so I had a chance to, ch and uh, these films that are uh, showing their local cinema, because uh, not just like, you know, normal commercial blockbusters, or, um, you know, like some, like, like, sort of like more famous titles but instead they get a chance to see this like very rarely seen uh queer cinema and east and southeast asian cinemas that sort of tells different kinds of stories and then i think that's very exciting for us as well that um i always feel like we are contribute something although we are very small scale festival but i feel like we always sort of contribute a positive impact um, in the industry of bringing a more diverse uh, perspectives to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think, as you just said, I think the life of a film sometimes ends at a festival, it, you know, that you might, in, in a part of the world that then you don't ever see outside of that. And it's so important that you bring, I, we're, doing, we're trying to do this a little bit with our doc program as well, is, is try to bring films you know, to Edinburgh audiences that would never get seen here otherwise. And it's so important to 
to to share these stories and these films and it means so much to both the audiences and the filmmakers and so it's great can you talk a little bit about the program that you're sharing with edinburgh this year you have some really incredible films from the past that and then you have uk premieres um tell tell us a little bit about like just uh what what we wish what we should expect yeah so i think one of the highlights uh, is, uh, I think I think in Edinburgh we show all the highlights of the festival, <laughs> and I think I will start from like a very 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 long uh, retrospect, a uh, very old retrospective. So that's only in Edinburgh that showing a Hong Kong oh, right. uh, musical, um, the Love Eaten, uh, Liang Shan Bo Yu Tai, which is a uh, Super, super uh, famous uh, Chinese folk stories about um, like um, sort of um, uh, features a strong gender play, I would say. So it's a rich girl, uh, she wants to, women are allowed to study, so she has to pretend as a boy to go to the old boys' school, and then she made this guy, uh, they fall in love. But behind that is actually because it's a Chinese, uh, a traditional Chinese. Uh, opera, so all the characters are uh, uh, the main characters are actually all played by female actors. So the the male character was actually portrayed by a female actress, and so it's sort of like this multi layer uh, gender play, which I find is super queer, and I really like this film. Uh, so I just think like the perfect day for the idea of queerist. And uh, the film was made in 1963. So yeah, so 60th anniversary, right? Yeah. Yeah, this year is March 60th anniversary. So I'm really, really excited to have this film to go to Edinburgh with us. And then another retrospective is uh, Tai Minel's Rebels of Neon God, which is his uh, first... Mm-hmm. De- yeah, which is his first uh, debut feature film made in 1992. And uh, from... My understanding, um, before us showing this film in April in London, this film hasn't been shown publicly um, in the UK for over 16 years. So oh. I, this is another great chance to see a big, um, sort of a big title on a big screen uh, again. And we had uh, Bad Women of China, uh, which was premiered with us in the UK this year. Uh, this is a documentary that uh, told the story about three generations uh, of Chinese women uh, in China, uh, made by uh, He Xiaopei, who is a very um, leading figure in queer activism in China, and also a filmmaker. And I think this film just... Um, like the film did very well with us uh, in the UK. We saw out uh, many of uh, these screenings and I think audience really, really um, enjoying to had a chance to hear these on her, sto- uh, her stories about Chinese women that from like spending around over a hundred years. And yeah, and so like at least three feature films, I I already enjoying them, and I think it is great that uh, we have a chance to show share them with uh, Edinburgh audiences, and of course we also have a show film programs that uh, has uh, these years uh, 
queer plums award winning films uh will you do jammy uh which by uh a Chinese a very young emerging uh, Chinese director Huang Shuli and this is sort of a very um heartfelt documentary about the filmmaker and his mother's conversation so then of course he um the film screened along with another five uh films uh fictional show films that also deal with the same topic about queer kids and their mothers. So yeah, so really exciting about these full screenings. And your festival is cross-disciplinary. So it's film primarily, right? But it's also got, like you said, v this VR installation and and um, and there was an immersion installation as well and, and, and various things. What is kind of, is that kind of come up recently and is that sort of your vision for the future or to have more different aspects to the festival or what are you thinking about in terms of 2024 yeah so i think that's yeah so that has been always been my idea of because i think queer yeast is a festival that uh focuses on uh, queer yeast and southeast asian cultures and I feel that we shouldn't just limit it um, by using film as our own medium. And so from this year, we started to uh, program uh, performing arts. This year in London, we had two dance productions um, that also talks about East and Southeast Asian queer cultures. And uh, of course, we've been doing VR since uh, 2022. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so this is kind of my idea of like, I hope we can include different art forms into the festival. And I also feel like filmmakers, artists these days are all very cross-disciplinary. Yeah. They, they, they do their work through different forms. And uh, so the boundary seems all getting very blurred now. Like film artists can also be filmmakers. Uh, in the past, artists moving in, artists moving in George usually only showing museum or galleries. Yeah, and now you can see more and more artists. Uh, they start to embrace, uh, embrace, uh, doing screenings in cinemas, and you also start seeing like filmmakers. They are doing films, not just present on the screen, but also like it can be an interactive installations with audience. So I just feel like it's sort of a nature. Uh, direction turn for the festival of just having different um, ways to uh, express uh, queer and East and Southeast Asia cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very encouraging, though, to see um, a festival that is, you know, relatively new, like engaging in, yeah, and watching watching what the film what the creative community is doing was very ambitious and very amazing. And all the work I've always seen that you've done has been incredible. So I highly recommend that everyone comes to um, both the panel on the 28th, um, you know, for it's a bit of networking and a conversation around building a community and accessible community. Um, and uh, that's at city chambers, correct? So that's, and that's free. Um, at yes. 6 yeah, 30. Events. Yeah. And then all of the films are at Summer Hall, as well as the installation. Um, anything else you want to add? No, and I'm really looking forward to 
seeing you guys to join us at the very special community events this year. This is our first time to do this kind of events, and I'm exciting to get a chance to know uh, a wider creative and film communities in Edinburgh. Well, we are too, and um, definitely. Uh, where can everyone find uh, your uh, information about getting tickets? So it's queereast.org.uk, your website, right? Is there a, is that the best place? Yes. Yes. Uh, that, that, that's our website, but of course, you can also follow us on uh, X. Now it's called X. And also Instagram. Uh, it's all at Queer East. So just search Queer East, and then you will be able to find us. Well, yeah, I look forward to you coming and uh, to Edinburgh soon and to seeing you in person and also, um, yeah, uh, being part of your festival and seeing some of the amazing films you're bringing to Edinburgh audiences. So thanks again for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. So that's um, that's our show this this month. Uh, thanks to everybody. Thanks for Juan and uh, E for their interviews, and um, thank you to Amaya and Gary for joining. Um, are you looking forward to uh, winter season of cinema? Well, going absolutely. Yeah, can't wait. Definitely, yeah. Echo that. Well, we'll see you next month, and um, thanks again. Thank you, Amanda. Okay.